How's it going out there, guys? This is Dan Fagella with Tech Emergence and the Sentient Potential. I'm lucky enough to be here uh, with emerging tech entrepreneur and consultant Ari Popper, who is CEO and founder of Sci Futures as well as A2O Technologies. Ari, how are you today, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Dan. Cool. And uh, one of the one of the reasons I, I uh, I'm lucky that we got to be in touch is because I know obviously you're doing um, consulting in the uh, domain of emerging tech and narrative and helping out larger companies. You're also helping to implement emerging technologies into existing companies and kind of bring new projects to life in that respect. Um, and I wanted to talk to you first uh, because I know, again, Psy Futures is the name of uh, the consultancy which you're working with now. Where you really see the relevancy of uh, science fiction and of stories to the entrepreneur, to the business person? Yeah, no. Oh, um, absolutely. Um, storytelling is a very powerful tool, I and mean, it's something that we, as a human species, have been using to communicate, uh, you know, for, for many thousands of years. Um, but it's it's kind of um, unused in business and really in, in innovation. And so, so futures are set up to use the power of science fiction storytelling or science fiction prototyping to help. Um, organizations get a visceral understanding of where they could be of their speculative future. And basically, I've been working in innovation for quite a long time and in, in research for quite a long time. And I realized that it's very difficult for a corporation to understand exponentiality, to understand the pace of the times, and to, to get a good appreciation of the potentialities that are available to them. Um, however, what science fiction does incredibly well, excellent science fiction does really well, is it can paint a very visceral and clear um, world, clear future. And that's what we, we do at Science Futures. We use um, science fiction narratives grounded in science fact and in emerging technology to help our clients get a visceral and a very clear understanding of where their businesses could be. And it's a, you know, it's a very powerful way to get clients inspired and excited about um, their potential futures. Cool. So, sort of the process yeah. of narrative, but through the sci-fi lens, sort of to, to understand again, right. as you had mentioned, the the exponential future in some respects. Um, and and yeah. that's an, another thing I wanted to kind of uh, talk to you about a little bit is um, I know you guys are implementing actual in addition to helping to brainstorm and and you know see alternative futures that maybe companies wouldn't have been able to see otherwise. You're also there, you know, in the mix, actually implementing these technologies, whether it's three um, D printing whether it's augmented reality, virtual reality, and, and sort of helping play out some of these future trajectories with the emerging technologies that may very well be a part of it. Um, talk about sort of the value of that and maybe a couple case studies. Um, you know, you don't have to drop names if, if need be, but a couple just uh, sure. examples of how those technologies were, were leveraged in your own work. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the, the, the power of um, science fiction visioning and science fiction narratives is if you do it correctly and if um, the client's business issues can be solved. They get very excited about the potential futures. Um, Warren Ellis, you know, the sci-fi writer, um, he says that we're living in a science fiction condition. Um, a lot of the science fiction speculation, particularly in a space of augmented reality, actually, um, exists today. And actually, every single day, there's um, new and interesting technologies that are creating a very sci-fi-like world. Um, so... My, my second company, A2O Technologies, was set up specifically to implement the science fiction-like worlds that we are building for our clients. So one of our clients um, was very interested in rethinking the way consumers um, redecorate their homes, improve their homes. Um, 
and so we did a visioning exercise and we used science fiction writers and came up with um, some very interesting potential futures for them um, using some emerging technologies and you can imagine that um, augmented reality is certainly one of them. Um, and so coming out of that it led to, well, can we do this today or what could we do? And um, without getting too specific because it's kind of yeah, confidential, of course, yeah. We, we, uh, yeah, we, we, you know, we were able to um, certainly get um, a, a very interesting innovations in place for the client. Um, I don't think that could have happened um, unless we'd been able to really explain through a narrative um, how these imagined technologies could work in a story form. I think it's very difficult to to uh, when you have clients who are not technology experts who are not up to speed on you know disruptive tech. It's very difficult for them to understand the applications of their technology. But what sci-fi does so well is obviously it creates a very seamless, well-integrated world, um, an emotional world. That, that is the way to really get organizations to buy into it. Cool. So you're getting everybody else on board as well. Um, so Yeah, exactly. And, and because, uh, because you're in the mix actually implementing these technologies, again, you've spoken about being able to take the interior decorating kind of concept and applying augmented reality to see what might this be in the future or how far could we go with this, um, you know, potentiality-wise, as you've said before. Um, what what areas for you, for businesses, for entrepreneurs, a lot of our uh, listeners and readers are um, looking to get into startups or are already in that world, where are some particular areas that for you are really exciting in emerging tech? You know, we've talked about augmented reality a couple times, which I know I still have a lot of homework to do about, but I'm very excited about. We're lucky enough to um, interview the the... Uh, editor-in-chief over at Engadget, who was one of the first folks with Google Glass, which was kind of cool, but obviously the future is a lot deeper than that. You know, we have yeah. 3D printing, virtual reality. What are some areas that for you, if you were in the startup space, would be particularly exciting and you'd really have your eyes on? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. And I think um, you know, follow the follow technology, follow the uh, sensors, follow um, the computing power, follow AI. These are all... Um, Areas in our world that are improving at a rapid pace. You know, Kurzweil's concept um, of the exponentiality of the times, driven by um, you know technological improvement. Obviously, Moore's law is a big idea there. But you know, I would follow any one of those. Um, you know, Internet of Things, proliferation of sensors on all devices, devices becoming smart. Um, I would try and line that up with passion. You know, if um, an entrepreneur is is interested in an area of emerging tech and also passionate about that area. That's typically a really good combination. For myself personally, I'm re very interested in augmented reality. I think it's a, a sci-fi meme that is just so prevalent. You go see any sci-fi movie and there's AR everywhere. Um, so I think we're just expecting it in the world. Um, I think that up to now, maybe in the past two years, it's, it's gone from being gimmicky to game-changing. I think the technology is now robust enough to be taken seriously as a business tool. Um, there were certain barriers for that technology to become um, functional um, that I think now have, have been overcome. Um, I'm not going to say too much because a lot of it is proprietary and interesting. Yeah, but, yeah. But I do think it's a technology, emerging technology, whose time has come um, for a whole host of reasons. Um, so, yeah, I'm very bullish on on AR and, and, um, um, and uh, yeah, augmented reality and um, 3D imagery, very, very bullish on it. 
Um, 3D printing, I think, is going to be huge, very disruptive um, as well. Internet of Things, I think, um, as devices become smarter, as sensors become cheaper, um, we're going to have a, a, a wired world, a connected world, um, where you know almost every device that you have in your home will be smart, will be networked. Um, the implications of this are, are incredibly profound. Yeah, I wanted um, to maybe delve yeah. into that a little bit because I think that you sure. know, and you see, you're in a you're in a position where. Um, oh, sorry. There. Sorry. Yeah, that's kind of a cool ahead. ringtone. No, uh, the yeah. the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the Internet of Things. I think if you're yeah. one of the things I really plan on doing is is having you know an involvement in, in a whole number of entrepreneurial ventures and kind of uh, consulting and otherwise arrangements in the startup space because I think it's interesting to be able to keep your eyes open to all the emerging possibilities. You're working with a lot of companies, yeah. so you're getting to see a lot of different things. I think even if you're a really hardcore robotics emerging tech businessman or you know researcher. It's sometimes tough to also imagine all the possibilities of AR if that's not your project, you know, if that's not your space. Right. And I think the Internet of Things, smart things, um, there is obviously so much possibility and potential there. What for you is exciting about that space? Where, where do the opportunities really lie for someone who's out there, you know, tuned in, maybe just thinking about, you know, how the heck that could be tuned, uh, adjusted into being a viable business model? Yeah, no, I've met some very interesting companies who are doing incredible work um, with Internet of Things. The two areas where I believe they're going to have the most profound impact on our lives, the first is in the home, um, where you know we've, we've, we've read a lot about it, we've heard a lot about it, but this idea of a smart home is something that is going to become very, um, very disruptive and very profound, the way it's going to impact our lives. Um, what I believe will happen, um, I'm not sure, but what, what I believe will happen is we will have some kind of AI device that will get to know us, get to know us on a personal level, and our home will respond in kind. Um, we can monitor and measure human emotions in real time. Um, computers can do that through um, through vision, through cameras, um, and uh, you know facial expressions, but also through biometric feedback. Um, I believe that that integrated into a home is going to become a very powerful mashing up of technologies. So, um, you know, I think, I think it's still a little way out, um, but it's, it's um, going to become incredibly profound and, and disruptive. Um, also, of course, cars um, are becoming smarter, um, you know, self-driving cars is, is obviously very interesting. Um, I think that's another area that's going to be profoundly disruptive. The issue that I have with with transportation is more to do, the barriers there I think are a little higher because more to do with um, uh, disrupting you know kind of very established infrastructure uh, and that's that's hard um, you know we're kind of flying cars here for a reason but with the home I don't think it's it's as um, those barriers are as profound and I'll give you an example of a very clever little device called Nest um, you know the smart thermostat that controls your home. Um, I think that's just the very, very beginning, just a little tip of the iceberg. Um, so yeah, th I think those are two very interesting areas that uh, that you know, if, it, if there's an entrepreneur out there who's passionate about about um, the Internet of Things and the potentiality for um, disruption, those are, those are two areas I just mm -hmm. I'd be you know really obsessing about. And so uh, this yeah. this Nest smart thermostat, I'm interested yeah. in uh, in that. This is a startup company. Well, yeah, it is a startup, but it's really backed um, 
incredibly well. Uh, I visited them out in uh, Mountain View. Um, so basically what it is, is it's a thermostat. It's actually a very beautiful looking thermostat. I think it's been on the market for a couple of years now, okay. maybe a year. Um, but what it is, is it's, it controls your heating and cooling. It's like HVAC cooling in the home. Um, what's clever about it is that it, um, well, I think the design's beautiful, but it, it gets to know your behaviors and it has a learning algorithm in it. Um, so it knows um, when your house needs to be cool, when it needs to be warm. Um, the other thing that I find very interesting about these devices is as they become networked to other homes, it starts to provide you with social reinforcement. So if your electricity <laughs> consumption is higher than um, your neighbors, it might nudge you and, and notify you of that. <laughs> That's great. Uh, very clever, yeah, very clever little um, social, social marketing tricks like that. Um, I think some electricity companies are already doing that, already showing you your consumption on your bill versus your, your, your neighbors. That's interesting just, because you think that they would want you to use more of it. Yeah, that's true, but you know, I don't think they're as, uh, as malicious as we think. You know, they, uh, <laughs> you know, they understand that um, you know, energy use is... Uh, Scarce. Yeah, it's, yes, exactly. Um, yeah. So the Nest is an interesting device. Um, I think um, when our fridges and ovens and blenders and TVs and thermostats and garage doors and lighting and uh, entertainment systems are all talking to each other through some kind of control mechanism to some kind of AI that is also um, programmed in a way to get to know us as individuals, not just know our habits and behaviors, but also maybe some of our emotional states. Um, I think that's a very interesting future that um, is not as far off as we think. And what are maybe some other good examples or companies that are sort of in that you know uh, in that particular realm that you've seen are exciting, maybe interesting case studies? I think Nest, just googling them right now, looks pretty darn cool. Um, what are very maybe cool. some other yeah. examples there? Um, you know, I think I think Nest is truly innovators and leaders in the space. Um, there are a lot of startups that are creating interesting applications for devices that they're smaller and more fringes, more fringe devices. Yep. Um, what astounds me is the wide range of applications that you can use your smartphone for. Wow. Um, it just absolutely completely blows my mind. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, yesterday, you know, well, a few, few weeks ago, um, I discovered a device, uh, sorry, I discovered an app that can actually measure your heart rate. It uses um, your flash bulb. Um, so you put your finger over the flash bulb. No way. Yeah. No yeah, way. It's, yeah, it's a really accurate heart rate monitor. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I can't believe yeah. it. Yeah. So, so that's Steve Jobs' genius. Is he's created this computer that um, is basically it's not a phone. I mean, it's it's, uh, it's you know a telephone is one feature that it has, but it's just this incredibly powerful device that can do so many things like monitor your sleep and measure your heart rate and um, you know train you to fitness plans and, and you know that actually reminds me it brings me to another huge trend is this idea of quantified self yeah um, that's another that's another area that I think um, you know entrepreneurs that could really uh, you know I mean it's massive absolutely yeah. massive where do you see yeah. the applications there because I know some folks are familiar with quantified self essentially the movement towards a, a more thorough and, and uh, objective understanding of our own body functions, our own patterns, or maybe yeah. I, 
ideal and optimal health. Are you talking about maybe more tracking devices or more ways of understanding that data and trends and being able to have that um, imply some meaningful changes in our own lives? What, what, are, what are the opportunities there? No, exactly that. I mean, I think that, you know, this idea of us being, of behaving unconsciously, you know, acting and living our lives with just minimal awareness of what we do yeah. um, is something that obviously can be harmful to ourselves and to others. Um, and it's not because we're deliberately doing it, it's just the way we are as human beings. But if we were given, if we're able to understand the way that we behave and the reasons why we make the choices we make um, through some kind of tracking or monitoring, I think it could lead to profound changes in um, in humanity and as a species. One of the ideas that I've speculated about, which I think is really profound, is um, once we, once AI is able to understand, we, obviously we allow it, but we give it permission to understand us, um, it can intervene or it can nudge us in ways that um, could um, give us a better likelihood of doing the right thing, quote-unquote. Now, there's a lot of ethical issues there around free will, yeah. and obviously, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a massive area. But I strongly believe that it's something that we need to debate and um, determine whether, you know, it's something that ultimately be beneficial for humanity. So you could even go so far as to say, imagine there was some kind of um, device embedded into our brains or into our neural wiring that was a smart algorithm that could anticipate and predict, um, let's say, unconscious harmful behaviors or even aggressive malicious behaviors um, that we often act out on without being aware of, if it can in some way just notify us, um, you know, that we're a race car engine in the red. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are you sure you want to do that? Um, it could profoundly change humanity, but of course it, it raises massive ethical issues that I think you know we need to debate and certainly the next generation will need to deal with. Yeah, and, and I uh, I was going to save that for one of our last questions as well, but I think that yeah. there's, uh, I mean, emerging tech and, and any alterations uh, with sentience hold massive ethical gravity. Um, sure. One of the things that I... Pretty firm on uh, here in the the podcast at Sentient Potential is is the idea that um, you know anything that tinkers with and or creates consciousness and or sentience is is the highest ethical gravity you know things that are conceivable that that's what fills sure. you know that that's what you know holds uh, that particular podium right there so I think that all those alterations are interesting I mean and the possibilities there of course what if maybe instead of notifying us that we were having these feelings that we could maybe do something about it what if it were possible to potentially alter some semblance of our nature to maybe yeah. have less of those and more of others and so there's right. there's a lot of gray lines and and I see uh over time so many of them being uh being crossed inevitably and it's really about us to you know as you're doing with companies be able to draw out what that best future needs to be and find it um, before I get too far off on that tangent, because yeah, I certainly right. I certainly will and could, and I know you could as well. Um, yeah. Do you happen to see now? You know, you're working with so many companies that have exposure to many companies implementing emerging tech and uh, also using your narrative process to kind of bring them forward. Um, do you see emerging technology entrepreneurship today as 
really all that different from starting a you know a yes. software company today or a, a, a you know an insurance company today. How how might those differences factor in in your mind? Uh, yeah, I'm glad you asked that question again. I'm sorry I didn't answer it. Um, I think I, my feeling is that they're completely the times are completely different. Um, it's way easier now to start a business than it was you know ten you know even maybe five years ago. Certainly 10 years ago, certainly 20 years ago. And the reason why is because of the tools that are available. A lot of them are free. Um, and the most profound reason is that we're able to work anywhere we want at any time. And to, and to call up um, you know, a wide swath of resources that we would have had difficulty finding. Um, so I'll give you an example. Every new business needs to have a website. It needs to have, uh, you know, web design. It needs to market itself. Um, you know, um, that can all be done very easily and very affordably online. But you also don't, you know, in the past you might have needed a physical office, a physical location. Um, you don't need that anymore. You can work anywhere. You don't need to have full-time staff. You can have people working for you anywhere in the world at any point in time. Um, you know, all these um, empowering tools um, are available to us uh, as entrepreneurs, and, and um, it's it's way different. Um, what what's the same? I think, I think is is the driving the passion and the kind of ambition to succeed. I think that that hasn't gone away. I mean, if anything, if there are more startups, you, you kind of have to compete even harder. Um, the other thing is, um, I feel very important is that. It's easier, I think, today to try lots of different things and see what sticks. Um, uh, I think that's important, um, rather than putting all your eggs in one basket and, and just hoping, hoping that it's going to pay off. I think the smart thing to do is try a few different things, see which one gets a bit of traction, and then you know to quickly, quickly act on it. That to me feels like the smart strategy. However, you know, with every rule, there's an opposite to that rule. You know, some Successful business people and entrepreneurs say, you know, it's your dream and follow it and don't divert from the plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and there's merit in that. But I think I think because the barriers to starting companies are so much lower, um, you know, it, it makes sense. It's kind of prudent to try different things. You know, maybe you, you have different degrees of passion for all of it. Yeah. And then just see what sticks and where the energy goes. It certainly makes that... that uh flexibility more viable uh, to j juggle multiple projects you got your guys like Jack Dorsey out there there we go oh can you hear me okay now yeah I hear you fine okay great um, yeah no I was going to say I mean you've got you know guys like Jack Dorsey juggling uh, multiple companies and uh, I had you know heard the the rumors of Zuckerberg having multiple irons in the fire even while Facebook was underway and I think it's probably more common now than it was before because you can have another business as soon as you open up another website. So long as That's you right. have an e-commerce processor, you have another business. You flip on the LLC if you feel like it and start you know, charging people and testing stuff and split testing stuff and it makes it a lot easier in that respect too. Do you think that starting a company in, you know, given today, given all these tools that you'd already identified, these tools are accessible potentially to everybody, right? So if you want to start... Um, you know, a physical martial arts gym and, you know, teach martial arts classes or you want to create a phone app that, you know, takes better pictures or something as if we need another one of those in the world, but I'm sure there will be many more of them, right? Um, yeah. or, or if you want to, 
you know, build a, you know, start a car company, or you want to, or you want to explicitly work with an emerging tech, let's say robotics, brain machine interface, which you were mentioning before, um, yep. you know, uh, augmented reality, virtual reality. Do, do you think that working in the emerging tech field, given the tools that we have, makes an entrepreneur journey uh, a little bit different? Are there other things to factor in than if you are starting in, let's say, um, you know, making a basic phone app, or you know, you, you have a uh, you know, you're doing something more traditional like uh, hardware or, you know, installing Windows or, or something like that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not sure. I mean, I think when you're working with emerging tech, you're working with, by and large, unproven or more uh, spurious technology. So I think there's more risk involved. Um, I also think that the payoff is also potentially greater. Um, personally, I'm very excited. I like, I like, um, Destructive technology, I'm, I'm, I absolutely love it. But I think you're right. I mean, I think it is a different beast just because you're kind of figuring things out as you go along. Um, there's a lot of um, prototyping that needs to happen. There's a lot of failures that need to happen um, in order to learn and progress. So, yeah, absolutely, it's, it's a different beast. However, that to me is really exciting. I think I love the idea that you're embracing the unknown. Um, you're kind of inventing something as you go along. Um, I do think that makes it harder, but I think it's more exciting, and also think of, you know there's potentially a bigger upside. But you know, it's it's not to say that um, starting a new business in a more traditional area is um, is not exciting. I think it's always incredibly exciting starting new businesses, and I think um, as long as you really put your heart to it, you know, build really good relationships, treat people well. Um, are smart, are nimble, flexible. Um, I think there's no reason why you wouldn't succeed in, in traditional businesses either. It's just, you know, you've got that added dimension when you're dealing with emerging tech that first you've got to explain what, what this technology does yeah. and you've got to figure out what it does as well at the same time. And, you know, so it's very different. So a little bit of added, you know, to use maybe a, a stock market term, kind of uh, like volatility here in terms of dealing with the unknown but then also being able to maybe have those those uh, bigger home runs, assuming you can make things click in ways that are that disruptive or go that far. Yeah, cool. exactly. Okay, cool. Exactly. It's one of, you know, the, the other analogy I had is a really good analogy, but it's like, you know, driving a car and building it at the same time. It's kind of a good analogy. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta right. love it. That's it's what entrepreneurship yeah. feels like all the time. But I'm sure yeah, exactly. in emerging tech, it's it's uh, doubly so. Um, so uh, the the last question I, I was going to run off you here, Ari, which I have asked of so many folks from entrepreneurs to uh, you know people in the AI field like Ben Goertzel and life extension like Aubrey de Grey um, yeah. is is the uh, the idea of as, as follows you know you're you're out here working too and you had mentioned you and I had talked a little bit um, off cam on the idea of of intention and how your work now really has to do with kind of imbuing what you're doing um, with a with a positive intention and being able to build a future that's not only more profitable but just aggregately better for humanity for the environment um, for for you know conscious beings, which which uh, seems ambitious, but also the right place to start. The the question uh, that I have is, you know, given how many approaches there are to that end goal, I think all of us, you know, all the robotics guys, the the brain machine interface researchers, we're all I I suppose in some way aiming and striving to make the world a better place. Given the fact that we're coming from so many different angles, that we have so many different methods and approaches, and some of us are isolated, some of us are connected. How how can we, if we hope to as a human race, um, you know, uh, 
work together to be aggregately building towards something beneficial. Because you can see how there'd be a lot of clash there if we're all working in different directions of building what the inevitable human future will be. How can we make that harmonious, if at all? It's, it's, an, it's a huge challenge because I think this, you know, the, the human beings have duality. I mean, we have you know, religions have, have spoken about this duality for thousands of years and, and you know, every one of us have, have, have I believe, has, has a duality in them that's uh, you know, sometimes in balance, sometimes out of balance. But I think what, what you know, we try to do at Science Futures is to set positive intentions and use science fiction narratives to set um, aspirational and utopian visions for our clients and for ourselves. Um, the reason why we do that is because we have a choice. We, we could choose, we choose that as a, as, a, as, a, as a future and that's what we choose to execute on. Um, we could take a fearful, more dystopian approach um, as you know, some companies do or some individuals do. But ultimately, um, you know, obviously, it's going to lead us to do. No, David Brent is um, a famous sci-fi writer. I follow him on Twitter. He's got some really good, good stuff. But he, he says that cynics and pessimists are are traitors to our future. Um, I really love that because it encapsulates this very idea that um, by keeping a positive attitude and focusing on inspirational, you know, let's call it utopian future you might have a much better shot of, of getting there. In terms of collaboration, um, I think it's really interesting. I believe that like-minded people um, often are attracted to each other, um, you know, where find each other. Um, I think um, the way the collective could work together is um, if somebody's interested in what someone else is doing and it naturally resonates with them, they'll kind of be attracted to that. I really do believe that. Um, and on the other hand, I think it works unfortunately the other way as well, I think. Um, you know, people are just attracted to like. Um, but I think every day we wake up, we make a positive choice. Uh, we try to do the right thing. We keep it inspirational, aspirational. Um, I think uh, we'll have a much better chance of getting there than uh, if we have a doom and gloom, dystopian point of view. I, I very much agree, and I'm, I'm, to be yeah. frank, a little bit surprised that I don't hear that notion articulated more often of, of being yeah. able to hold that optimism, not blind optimism, of course, but, right. but to hold that, you know, reasonable, positive vision and notion and, and yeah. be able to move towards that. So I, I think that that's uh, apt advice. Yeah. Well, it's very interesting because there was a collective of science fiction writers, very good, very famous, well, um, you know, very, very well respected science fiction writer. One of them, I believe, is Neil Stevenson, who's one of my favorite writers. Um, and there, um, they put together this uh, collective of sci-fi writers that are trying to um, actively stop dystopian sci-fi. Wow. For the yeah, for the very reason that it could end up being a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, and uh, I, need to, I need to follow up on, on that. But it's, it's a really interesting idea um, that, you know, if, uh, I guess sci-fi writers are passionate about and understand the power of the genre so much that they're, you know, they're actively trying to keep it positive. Yeah. No, I and, certainly, uh, oh, yeah. man. Let me know if you if you pull up an article or, or anything, uh, you know, of note on that because that, that, yeah. seems, that seems pretty interesting and, and related to uh, what I'm doing um, here as well. So I, I'd be more than curious there. And I think, to be frank, I think a lot of people would see that as absurd um, 
And uh, but I I wouldn't per se. I can certainly see the validity there of how these tales carry themselves forward and how you know our Terminator notions. If that's the only sugar plums yeah. dancing in our head, our Terminator sugar plums. You know, exactly. ugh, you know, maybe maybe that's where we're subconsciously moving, which is no good. That's right. I mean, that's exactly the point. That's exactly it. Yep. And and I think I think it's naive to expect the human race to to be a completely utopian, positive in a positive state all of the course, time. Of course. Like I said, I believe we have the duality in us, and I think we need the duality. I don't want to get too esoteric, but yeah, you know, no, that's can, cool. We can riff, we can riff on that, but but I think. Um, you'll have a much better chance of creating a positive and uplifting future if that's the one that you focus on because that's basically what you'll build. Um, how you know Negative or dystopian futures can have value. They have value in the sense that they warn us about the potentialities yes. of where we could be if we don't change. Yeah. But you know, fear and negativity, is a, I think it's a strong motivating um, forces something that's more inspirational, uplifting. Uh, at least that's certainly what I believe. Cool, and, and I think that that is a, a more than apt message, not only for us out here trying to make the world a better place, but for the entrepreneurs out there trying to move their company to a better place. Um, so on, on that note, I'll say, Ari, thank you very, very much for taking the more than a half hour here to um, delve into these ideas and sort of your insights in this world of emerging tech. I appreciate it more than you know. Uh, it's absolutely my pleasure. I'm glad I could do it. Thank you. Cool. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, then make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, then be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Um, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>